This is Liam Hendricks, and you're watching Crosstown Crosstalk on the Barroom Network. Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised. Every summer in Chicago, the sunshine spotlights the city's spectacular skyline, its luxurious lakeshore, marvelous monuments, and the over 200 neighborhoods in the city. And it also brings to light two of the greatest sports franchises in the world. On the north side, it's the Cubs. On the south side, it's the White Sox. This is Crosstown Crosstalk. Hello and welcome to another very exciting episode of Crosstown Crosstalk presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi and even though it is the middle of December and we got the NHL going strong and we got the NBA back in business full force, the National Football League is getting as good as it can possibly be down the stretch of the season. We still got some Major League Baseball to talk about and I would not rather talk about it with anybody in the world right now than our special guest today. Of course, I'm talking about Herb Lawrence of CHGO. Herb, how you doing? Doing well. Thank you for having me, Vinny. It's an honor to be back with you, and I'm looking forward to a good conversation with the White Sox. Absolutely. I can't thank you enough for coming on. It is absolutely our pleasure, and you brought it up, the Chicago White Sox, the team that we both begrudgingly cheer for sometimes and cover on various platforms. You do a great job with CHGO. I got to ask you, though, to lead off the whole conversation. The conversation surrounding the Chicago White Sox for the last five to six years has been Jose Abreu. He's been their best player for as long as basically since he came to the team. He was their best player. The second he stepped on their field, I got to ask you, what was it like for Jose or to watch Jose Abreu leave? Because the fans were kind of mixed going into it, but it seems like it's been more of a negative reaction since. What are your thoughts? Well, kind of got used to him not going to be back for the White Sox kind of at the end of the year, it seemed like they were going in that direction. You know, they didn't say it, but they said it with their actions. And so when it actually did happen, it was hard pill to swallow. It was uh, a realization that this team is moving forward from one of their franchise's best players offensively ever and moving it to Andrew Vaughn slash Aloy Jimenez. So Andrew Vaughn's going to be playing first base for the most part, and then DH will be Aloy Jimenez. My whole problem with the thing, and I get that 20 million, 18 million was a lot of money to pay for Jose Abreu, especially if they have budget constraints, which they are self-imposed by them. Not really budget constraints. It's just what they say their budget is, which, you know, in baseball, you have no you have no cap, just have the competitive balance tax. But they're you know making the case like, you know, 18, 20 million is a lot for Jose Abreu, who's in this 36 year of playing baseball that's going to be a lot moving forward cool what have you done to address that actually jose abreu is like the production he has like that firstly secondly the leadership void now you have from pito who was here for nine seasons and did so many great things and to a man people say they looked up to jose abreu so 
that void in a place that already had a leadership void with the Tony LaRusso whole fiasco the two years he's been here. And you've seen how the team has not done well since Tony was here. Now you're going to subtract the best offensive player they had last year, according to war, uh, both F and B war. How are you going to replace that? They haven't yet. Like the actual player not being here. I get it. But what are we going to do to make sure the team in 2023 and forward and moving forward is going to be better than the team that showed up in 2022? They haven't done anything yet to replace that man. And so that's why I'm mostly pissed off about the White Sox and their plan this offseason. It seems like they have no concrete plan to actually get better offensively, which they haven't. They haven't added a Major League Baseball player on the offensive side at all and only adding pretty much Mike Clevenger from the pitching side. So this offseason has been a huge dud. I know they have more time to go, but losing Jose Abreu and not having activity to replace him is just frustrating as hell. You touched on leadership. You touched on Tony La Russa. They hired Pedro Grafal to come in off the Kansas City Royals bench to come in and be their new manager this season. The pitch or the coaching staff is kind of in place. What so far, based on what you've heard, what you've read, everything in the middle, do you, what do you believe is going to be the case with Pedro Grafal in terms of his potential success in 2023? And what do you make of the coaching staff that he's put together? I like the hiring. I'm initially was like, who is Pedro Grafal? And then people who know baseball reached out to me and said, you know what, this guy has been one of the top candidates for jobs for different teams, the Royals themselves. And, but they did kind of a Tony La Russa type thing there where they hired um, Mike Matheny instead of Pedro Grafal, who was known and thought to be the successor to Ned Yost after they won the World Series. But he got passed over, was just the bench coach. People rave about him, his communication skills, his leadership. Um, working with Salvi Perez as a former catcher himself, Pedro Grafal being a former catcher, working with Salvi Perez to be a, be a better defensive catcher. And Mike Tozar, who was coming over from the Kansas City Royals, also helped Salvi Perez with his swing. And so he's got a lot of bona fides. He's got a lot of people he trusts around him, bringing over Mike Tozar to be one of his lieutenants. And I'm excited about him and a different change of planning for games, having the analytic base that he has, explain it to people like Ned Yost, people like Mike Matheny, who are known to be just this stodgy old school baseball people. This guy had it in digestible bites for these people to adjust to this modern game. Going from Tony La Russa to this guy is going to be like, like night and day because we're going to be playing baseball in this century. We're going to be playing baseball like we're supposed to and getting the most potential out of these guys instead of wasting them and playing guys like Lurie Garcia way too much. So I'm excited about Pedro Grafal. His staff is good, except for Debo. Daryl Boston coming back. There's no reason for that. I understand he's a friend of Kenny's. He's the spy for the clubhouse, apparently, for Kenny. And the often his one of his jobs is to be a first base coach. That's really a nothing job. Another one of his jobs was a base running coach. They took that responsibility away from him because the White Sox base running last year in the last couple of years has been piss poor. And then his third job is the outfield coordinator. And every White Sox fan knows these people don't communicate. They run into each other all the time. And our two first basemen who shouldn't play outfield, 
they didn't really get better at being an outfielder. You would think incrementally, like, oh, man, yes, initially you start off in April and May, you're a little rough. By September, you're a little better. That didn't happen with Andrew Vaughn or Gavin Sheets. And that is part of the old Boston's job. He struggled, but he's back now with no accountability. And the only people who really paid for the 2022 season are Frank Minichino and Joe McEwing, the hitting coach and the third base coach. Those are the only people who really are not coming back. Tony's not coming back, but he's had health problems. They didn't fire him. And so everybody else is coming back, and there's no accountability on this team. But I like Pedro Grafal. I like the staff they've acquired. Charlie Montoyo, a former major league manager, that's going to be good. Bringing Chris Johnson up to be the hitting coach, fine with that. Or the assistant hitting coach, fine with that. And having Ethan Katz back, of course, I'm great with that. But don't like Debo can come back. But what can we do? Hopefully, his only responsibility is that first base coach, and they take away this outfield duties because that has not been good under the White Sox at all. Yeah, it's certainly not been good at all. And so they signed Mike Clevenger. You touched on it a little bit. He's a right-handed pitcher that's going to join a rotation that is specifically all right-handed pitchers with Cease, Giolito, Kopech, and Lynn. Do you see them making another move to bring in another left-handed pitcher? What do you make of Mike Clevenger joining this rotation? Would you consider doing a six-man rotation if they brought a lefty, move one of them to the bullpen? Kind of a a fully loaded question here, but you know, so much comes with this Mike Clevenger signing that I'm curious your thoughts on all the different angles of it. My thought about adding a pitcher, especially a left-handed pitcher would be only if you're going to go at the top of the market and the lefty at the top of the market right now, the only one I'm thinking about is Carlos Rodon. It's going to be really hard to get him because it's going to be years and money that the White Sox don't usually like to get into, but that would be the only lefty I would like to get because of he's at the top of the rotation. Just to add a left-hander, just to have a left-hander to shake things up. I don't know if the White Sox need to do that, but if they stay pat with the five guys they have now with Davis Martin and other people, Sean Burke and other people in the wings, waiting in the wings, I'm fine with the the rotation. I think if we have a bounce back year from Lucas Giolito, which I'm expecting, having him as your fourth starter, and maybe Mike Clevenger is a fifth starter. It's pretty strong. It's probably the strongest in the division if you go with those five down that you name. But we all know injuries are going to be a thing. We've seen injuries last year by Lance Lynn. Michael Kopech is often injured, but his first full year of starting was last year. Pitched pretty well. Now, if he could stay healthy and give us maybe 150 innings this year, perfect. And we've seen with Lucas Giolito having the oblique problem, having COVID. He didn't really recover from that this year in 2022. Now, if he can have a full belt bill of health, a full offseason with Ethan Katz, helping him out, working with the core velocity belt and all that good stuff, I think we will see maybe not a full return to 2019 Lucas Giolito or 2020 Lucas Giolito, but somewhere in between. Like the 2021 Lucas Giolito, after he struggled initially, got back on track. If we can get that guy back as a four-starter, mercy, I'll tell you what, we're going to be cooking with gas, and then Mike Clevenger, if he gets anywhere near his Cleveland days, the White Sox are going to be probably not only the best AL Central rotation, one of the best in the AL or NL. I love hearing you say that. And so, of course, at the top of it, you mentioned Dylan Cease. He was outstanding last year. He was one of the best pitchers in the entire league. 
Um, he came in second place for the American League Cy Young, and if it wasn't for this all-time great 39-year-old season from Justin Verlander, he would have won the Cy Young with relative ease, I mm-hmm. think. Do you think he could do that again? And, like, call me crazy. Do you think he could get better? Oh, yeah. I think he can, can do this again and get better. That's what's so exciting about Dylan Cease. I just think the guy understands that he is a boss. He's had the best stuff of a White Sox staff since he got here. Now, and I said it then, all he needed was confidence and understanding that he's the stuff. No one's hitting his slider. And if he can ramp it up to 99 with the combination of that slider, the knuckle curve, develop maybe, you know, a little bit more of a changeup that he wants to go with, he can get like leaps and bounds better than he is right now. And that is very exciting for the White Sox. I know that he's represented by Scott Boris, but you want him to be represented by Scott Boris. You want Scott Boris to come out and say, man, I got one of the top pitchers in the game. And when he's going to hit free agency, he's going to make a bunch of money. I hope for his time left with the White Sox, because we know that Scott Boris likes to take his guys to free agency and then have them on the open market. But with his time left with the White Sox, I see nothing but greatness left over because he seems like he's hungry for it. He seems like he wants to be the best pitcher in baseball. And you know how I know he's confident? He wrote that terrible-ass poem and had no shame in this game. He was like, oh, slider slide. I'm going to go and print it on a shirt. My teammates are going to wear it. It was a terrible po- poem. But he's like, I don't care. I'm the stuff. I'm singing a slide. I'm, I'm talking about my poem in, in a, na- a national forum. I don't care if you guys care, care care about it. That's my stuff. That's confidence that you know. I don't care what your opinion is of me because I know I'm the stuff. And that's what I think more pitchers need. I remember when Ian, uh, Liam Hendricks first got here, he talked about confidence. He said he would rather throw a crappy pitch with 100% confidence than a good pitch with 50% confidence. And I think that is a big-time thing for pitchers, for hitters, confidence, knowing that this person across from you cannot get you out if you're a hitter or if you're a pitcher. This batter cannot touch my stuff. He cannot. I'll throw this ball through him, and he won't touch it. It won't It won't be a thing. And if he does hit it, who cares? Give me the next ball. The next guy won't hit me. And I think that's what Dylan Cease has matured. Remember his first couple of years, he would get into that one inning, and he would lose it. The confidence would be shot. They're hitting my ball. Damn it. And then that would snowball into a bad outing. And then incrementally, he's gotten better and better and better. The slider was the best pitch in baseball, had the best value in baseball this year. So I think it can get even more better. Remember, he didn't have an offseason with Ethan Katz just like any of the White Sox starters or relievers didn't. This year, he gets that offseason. He gets that tutelage. He gets that more core velocity belt work. The tedious um, work of Ethan Katz will be with him all offseason long. And I think... With that, and then his hunger to be better, the sky's the limit for the guy. And now Justin Verlander's in the National League. Man, oh man, he's going to love, absolutely love winning the Cy Young in 2023. I think he's going to be the odds-on favorite in the the American League, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. He's going to come in as one of the big-time favorites. And Joe right here in the chat suggests, you know, that the White Sox start doing something. The White Sox are starting to be perceived as a team that is considered to be cheap. And I know you agree with that. I know I agree with that. White Sox fans are agreeing with that. Have you heard about this stuff where the fans are coming together to chip in to pitch for a billboard 
that uh, suggested Jerry Reinsdorf should sell the White Sox. Do you actually, away from Twitter and being funny and all that, buy into this? Do you Are you excited for the day that Jerry Reinsdorf one day sells the White Sox? Do you think he's actually the number one problem? I think he is because it's a organizational-wide thing that this White Sox team continues to do. Like, they're a bad organization. Like, we see this time and time again where – they were on the doorstep of competing and being one of the fun teams in baseball. Everybody was rallying around the 2020 White Sox. And after they lost in that Oakland series, firing Ricky Renteria was the right thing to do. We appreciate your service. We've gotten to a level where we think we can go to the next level. You are not the person to take us there. A la Doug Collins getting fired from the Bulls after they lost to the Pistons, bringing in Phil Jackson, a different voice, a voice that they needed to go from A to B to C. That that time at 2020, the White Sox were about to springboard. Rick Hahn was about to hire AJ Hinch, and whatever the results are right now in Detroit, I think they would have been a little different here in Chicago. I think AJ Hinch would have been the perfect manager for the White Sox at that time. Even though I disagreed with AJ Hinch and maybe him being hired because of his uh, Astro stink in the 2017 cheaters that the Astros were, and he was part of that. I would have loved that move much more than the Tony La Russa move. The thing I worried about the Tony La Russa move initially was, will he mess the clubhouse up? And we've seen subsequently, yeah, the clubhouse has been messed up. When he left the team this year for health reasons, Miguel Cairo got that team winning. We saw like a, a breath of fresh air, some, some weight lifted off the people's shoulders, and they started performing to their back of the baseball card numbers. Now, ultimately, it didn't work out for the White Sox, but you could see that Tony LaRusso was an ultimate drag in the 2022 season. He wasn't the main reason. He wasn't, like, the number one culprit because the players play, but he did not help in it in any way as Jerry Reinsdorf wanted him to. That's Jerry Reinsdorf's thing. He wanted to hire his friends to make up for a mistake that he made in 1986. Not, hey, what's the best for the club moving forward? It's how can I rectify what I messed up instead of, man, the White Sox are on the precipice of something special. What I need to do is allow my baseball people to do baseball things, step back. If they ask for me for money, I'll willingly give it because now is the time to supplement the roster. We haven't had a second baseman in a long time, a right fielder in a long time. What I need to do if I'm Jerry Reinsdorf and say, here, Rick, here's an open checkbook. This is how baseball is held handled right now. I'm in my late 80s. I won't be around here for much longer. What I want to see, a la Mike Illich, is to spend a lot of money and see if I can get my team into the World Series or win a World Series before I leave this earth. He didn't do that. He wanted to rectify his own things, and it filters all the way down the clubhouse. Like I said before, there's no accountability. Tony didn't get fired. He left because of health reasons. He deserved to get fired. Everybody knows Tony deserved to get fired multiple times in season. We see what happened with the Phillies there when they fired Joe Girardi, who deserved to get fired. They took off. They shot up because finally accountability was there. The players saw that, and they started playing a little bit better. Now, if the White Sox would have did that, I don't know what the results were because Joe Madden got fired out in Anaheim. They really were the same team after that, so... I don't know if it would have worked, but it's a thing where it can't hurt and might help. But Jerry Reinsdorf didn't allow that to happen. 
same thing I think is happening now, where the White Sox have an opportunity to go and maybe not sign the Bogarts, the Correas, those type of players, but the Brandon Nimmo's, yeah, you could sign him. You can be in that market because that's a nice outfield piece you need. They can be in the market for Michael Conforto. We haven't heard that, but that's a signing that would help the White Sox immensely. Any of these players trading for Colton Wong, where the Mariners already have done that. That would have fixed your second base for the next couple of years. It would have been a little expensive, but they haven't done any of that. And I think that starts from Jerry Reinsdorf. And I like the grassroots efforts from Bennett Carroll and all the rest of the White Sox fans who want to build this or have this billboard saying, sell the team, Jerry. Will it work? No, Jerry won't care, but it's fine that they do this. I like that they're going to do this for themselves. They're not necessarily doing it for Jerry. They're going to try to embarrass Jerry and people driving by the Kennedy or the, uh, I think it's going to be in the Kennedy or the Dan Ryan can see, man, Sox fans are not taking this down lightly. They're not just going to be accepting mediocrity. They're going to be going for it and telling Jerry that he's effed up. It's already up to $4,000 in 24 hours. All I need is $2,100 for that billboard. And Bennett Carroll and White Sox fans are so angry that they did it in 24 hours. That is an amazing thing. When they initially, when he announced it, I was like, they're not going to get this. No, White Sox fans are that angry, that pissed, that they're willing to throw in $10, $25, $100, $500 to get this billboard up to embarrass Jerry. I don't know if it will work. I, in my heart of hearts, I don't think it will work. But it's a great thing for White Sox fans to come together and say, we're not going to take it anymore. And we're going to show you that we're not going to take it by not showing up at the ballpark and also have a sign up there that embarrasses you for two months while people are walking or driving on the Dan Ryan. Now, where do you stand on Rick Hahn? Do you think he's a White Sox problem or do you think he's a product of Jerry? Or both? Both. But if I had to choose one of the two, I don't think Rick Hahn does anything. He has the constraints of Jerry Reinsdorf, and Jerry Reinsdorf is a terrible owner. He's made money. You know, it's good. He's a successful owner, 19 million to one point whatever billion now. Great. It's awesome. You've turned this team from wherever it was to, like, I think it was 8,000% more than what you've initially bought it. That's awesome. But You've made this team and this franchise a joke. And Rick Hahn should know that. And he's been working with Jerry Reinsdorf for the better part of 15 plus years. He should understand how Jerry works. Being usurped in 2022 for hiring Tony Russo instead of his guy, AJ Hinch, that for me would have been the last straw. But as people have pointed out, where else is Rick going to find a job? How are you going to quit a job where there's only 29 other of those? I get that. And it's in his hometown. I get it. But if you know what how Jerry works and you know that you're going to have limitations and getting players, you're not going to be going over limits that other teams can go like the Mets have done, the Padres, the Giants, the Rangers have done. You know you're not going to be there. Do other creative things because you know your job is not in jeopardy. You don't have to actually win. You don't actually have to do anything to keep your job. The accountability is not there, as I already talked about. This came off a very disappointing 81-81 season. Regular teams would have fired a nine-year general manager that's only been in the playoffs twice, but with the White Sox. So 
Rick doesn't do the creative things, the things where other teams don't do. The only thing that he does that is opposite of most teams is the signing players before they hit their RB years to eat up a couple of years to make them cheap when they're a little bit better at the back end of their contract. It hasn't happened because Yoan Mankata is now going to be making like $18 million. Wasn't good last year. Same thing when the, the Luis Robert and the Eloy Jimenez money starts kicking in and starts making it really expensive with the White Sox. I don't think they've worked out the way Jerry Reinsdorf or Rick Hahn or Kenny Williams had envisioned. But I applaud Rick for doing that. I want more of that. I want him to be exploring things like Project Birmingham like he did last year. Those things are unique because you know your team is not going to be competing with the other teams in the league and how they spend money. I would love for him to make a trade as he was saying that he was going to be doing. Like this is going to be more of a trade market than a free agent market. We haven't seen that. And I hope he's not holding on to prospects like Colt Montgomery or Brian Ramos or Oscar Colas, for that matter, just because he doesn't want to give away the future. Your future's now, brother. I know White Sox fans, some will be bellyaching if you're giving away Oscar Colas or Colton Colston Montgomery. But you can only win the 2023 championship in 2023. So let's get moving. I think that Rick Hahn has restrictions, but he doesn't do enough, enough creative things. And this is Kenny Williams, too. They don't do enough creative things to keep his team competitive year after year after year with the top teams. Tampa Bay doesn't have the financial wherewithal as teams, even the White Sox, but they compete every year. Same thing with the Cleveland Guardians. They don't have the financial uh, the financial money or the stuff that the White Sox have, but every year the Guardians, for the most part, are competing. So if you're not going to be in that market where you're spending a lot of money, you got to readjust and do the Tampa Bay, Cleveland Guardians, uh, Minnesota Twins thing, where occasionally you can go up and get a big-time player and offer a big-time player. But mostly, it's got to be about drafting and player development, which they've both done poorly in Rick Hahn's, uh tenure. We've seen Nick Madrigal, first-round pick, pretty much wash out. We've seen Zach Collins, 10th pick overall, wash out. I mean, Tim is a good pick, awesome pick, but few and far between and didn't sign Carlos Rodon to a qualifying offer, another first round pick. So what's Rick doing? He's failing right now, partially because of the owner, partially because of himself. Couldn't agree more. And you touched on Luis Robert, Eloy Jimenez, their money coming up in a couple of years. Robert was really good in the first half last year, I thought. Mm-hmm. And then he f- kind of fell off a cliff when he got hurt in the second half. People are thinking MVP with this guy. I think he has all the tools to win the MVP. I still think that. Mm-hmm. Um, Eloy Jimenez has all the tools to be like a batting champion or lead the American League in home runs, stuff like that. He's a terrible outfielder, but he mm-hmm. did prove this year he could be a designated hitter, which was something I questioned before this season started. I'm like, do we have to let him play outfield poorly just so he can like be involved in the game and help him as a hitter? There are some guys who admit that they literally can't DH. They could be these great hitters, but they can't DH. But the reason I bring them both up at the same time is because I do believe that next season in 2023, if they both regress back to where we think they can be for a whole season, Eloy was great in the second half. He had a lot of numbers that compared to like Aaron Judge from August 30th forward. And we saw what Aaron Judge did in the second half, right? And I'm not saying Eloy needs to go out and hit 62 home runs or anything like that, but go out there and be on the field every day, giving what you can. Both of these guys, what do you make of them and can they really help get this team? Because getting 
typical Eloy and Robert production for 162 games would kind of be like adding a significant free agent in the offseason in a lot of ways because you didn't have that last year. You were incredibly disappointing. You sucked every single day, and you still went 81 and 81. So I, I, I do think that there is a possible positive regression coming in for the team, and these two guys are a big part of it. You couldn't be more right. I mean, we at um, CHO White Sox – uh, myself and Sean Anderson, both before the season last year, or this 2022, picked Luis Robert to be the MVP. He has that, like you were saying. He has all the skills, the five tools that you need. And he did start off hot. And having the viral thing that he had in Minnesota after hitting the Grand Slam, that was huge this year, Like where it was kind of a mystery. He was just out for weeks. That was weird. And then, of course, sliding into second and uh, I think Jonathan Scope blocking the path and him hurting his wrist and or shoulder. And then them, the White Sox, telling him to go up there and everybody seeing that he's swinging with one hand. That was egregious. I just was pissed that whole time because you can see you're maybe damaging a player that is otherworldly. He is at the top of the league. If he plays 150 games, no doubt he'll win an MVP before he retires. He's got that much skill. And I see you're showing the highlights right here. That home run off of Kansas City. They're just like, man, I hate that guy. I absolutely detest that guy because he destroys Kansas City specifically. And I love it. And that's that's the guy that I love to see play baseball when he's a health, 100% healthy. Because he goes and gets in the, in the outfield. He's deadly in the zone. The only thing that I think he needs to clean up is the chase rate. He needs to lower his uh, chase rate versus sliders because people have been slider him to death. If he hits, if the ball's in the zone, he's going to crush it. He, the sky's the limit for him. And with Aloy Jimenez, you said maybe he doesn't hit 62 home runs. Maybe he does. If he plays 150 plus games, his rookie year, he did 31 and I think 120. Yep. I think that extrapolates out to like 44 or 50 some home runs. And that was in his rookie year. If Aloy Jimenez plays all the games and being a designated hitter will, you know, keep him probably away from injury. But the last two times he really did get injured were running down first base early in the year last year. Um, And then I remember the playoffs games where in Oakland, he got hurt there. He got hurt in Cleveland celebrating. He got hurt celebrating uh, Lucas Giolito's no hitter. You know, he's just injury prone. If the White Sox can limit that by playing him at designated hitter, which I hope it's true. I think the sky's the limit for him too. He will hit a bunch of home runs. And as you see with the, the clips you're playing, he's not necessarily hitting these balls barreled up. He's hitting them off the end of the bat and they're going out. He has that natural power. He's not swinging with a hundred percent force. He's just letting the ball come to him and hitting it where it's pitched. He's a natural hitter. And I think, he can be a top-of-the-league player, too, as a designated hitter, as Jordan Alvarez is another player that Mike Tozar, who is now the White Sox, uh, uh, I forgot what made-up title they gave him to get him from Kansas City, but Mike Tozar found it, or he was part of the group that found uh, Jordan Alvarez for the Houston Astros and said, hey, this guy is pretty good. Not for the Houston Astros, but he found that guy like, hey, this guy's pretty good. You guys should be looking for him. And I think Aloy Jimenez from the right side, can be just as good as Jordan Alvarez if he stays on the field. So like you were saying, 
if they get 150 games plus from those guys, 145, hell, from, from those guys, they got an awesome team. They got something that they haven't had from those guys, mostly in their career, is 100% health. And then I expect production will be what we expect from when they were signed, when they were signed before they even played one game, where the sky's the limit for both of those guys. And I cannot wait to see those guys actually be the players that we thought they were going to be because we've seen glimpses. We haven't seen the full package. And if we can get that in 2023, yeah, the White Sox will compete because those two players are just that good. In your opinion, would trading Liam Hendricks be as much of a loser move as it is in my opinion? Yes. I, it would signal that they're giving up. I understand why they're doing it because they've painted themselves into this corner where he's the most attractive player you can lose. And if you're dealing from a, play, a place of strength, you have Kendall Graveman, who has closed in the past. Ronaldo Lopez, who is a guy that projects to be a future closer. Joe Kelly, who had a bad year, but the FIP doesn't say as bad as a, the ERA is. You have other people like Jimmy Lambert who can step up. But trading Liam Hendricks, one of the best closers of the last four years, would signal to me that the White Sox are not necessarily rebuilding, but they're retooling on the fly. Because we've discussed this time and time again on CHGO White Sox uh, show. What are you going to get from him? Are you going to get a major league player? If you're trading him to a team that needs a closer, more than likely they need the player that is a major league player. So for more than likely, you're going to get either AAA guys who are MLB ready or lower level major league players that have shown some excitement, have shown some, some stamina, and maybe guys like Gavin Lux from the Dodgers. Is that enough from the White Sox? I don't think so. Gavin Lux is not going to change the White Sox futures be, being a second baseman for them. And so what do you really get from trading your top of the league closer? If you can get somebody that is awesome, that is filling a position that you need, like a right fielder that as, happens to be left-handed and can show some pop, awesome. I might do it. But it is a move that losing teams do. Teams that have that mentality of, man, we got this $14 million closer. That's a lot of money to spend on a closer type of thing. Looking at the financial instead of looking at the production and how everybody else falls in line behind get, uh, behind Liam Hendricks. And it's a perfect bullpen. Instead of that, you can you trade him and now you get pennies on the dollar for him. And Gavin Lux is a good player, but there's a reason why he's in trade conversations. There's a reason why they're like, okay, we trade Gavin or Gavin Lux. We can just put Max Muncy at second base type of thing. And so I don't see the player in the rumors that I'm saying, yes, Liam Hendricks could be traded for that player because that player would make the White Sox this much better. And even though I did propose a Liam Hendricks trade yesterday, it would just, you know, the White Sox would benefit from Kevin Biggio would benefit from Danny Jansen and maybe other players. I would still hate it because we're losing a two-time AL reliever of the year and he's still pitching well. And I think it would be a loser move if the White Sox were to actually trade him because I don't think 
They don't need to trade them. They could just spend money for available players right now and fill out the roster instead of going the trade route, which they don't have a lot to trade from. Like they're going to hold on to Colson Montgomery, you know, Oscar Colas. And then trading off your major league team is not never a good thing, especially one of your best players on the staff. And you've already lost Jose Abreu. How are you getting better by trading good players off your team or losing good players off your team? Absolutely. So there are a lot of free agents out there. The White Sox have a couple needs. We think Colas is going to play right field. So that makes mm-hmm. left field a little more open than right field all of a sudden when we thought it was going to be flipped at one point. Of course, second base, you mentioned that. Uh, a possible need for another left-handed starting pitcher if it is someone like Carlos Rodon. Um, I'm sure they'll sign another bullpen arm because we are talking about the White Sox here. <laughs> um, is there anybody out there that you want, like, I know there are lots of people you want, but like out of the realistic options, you look at the list, you see Andrew Benintendi, Andrew McCutcheon, Joey Gallo, uh, Carlos Rodon, um, a bunch of other options out there, Gene Segura. Is there somebody out there that you would really like to come see play for this team? Um, would once, no, it's not a guy that I would like, okay, if the White Sox get this guy, they would be uh, a much better team and it'll be a great off season. Cause all those guys for the most part have been gone. My Conforto is the guy that's closest to that for me because of his 2000, I think it was 2019 where he hit over 35 home runs. That guy is still out there. That guy is still there. You know, he had a probably bad year in 2021 where he didn't hit as many home runs and it was looking like he was slowing down. And of course he missed all of 2022 because of an injury. I think that maybe you can get that guy and he return, he returns to his old form, but that's a lot of the things that those players that you've named Joey Gallo, can he return to his old 40 plus home run form from the Texas Rangers years? He's already going to be a much bit bigger upgrade than any left fielder we've put out there in recent times because he can still glove it. He has a decent arm. Um, same thing with McCutcheon. Can he be the the MVP that he was in Pittsburgh? That thing is long gone. These would be all those moves where, man, I remember that guy, and he used to be good elsewhere. Can we get that guy back type of thing? And I don't know if there's anyone out there that is, man, this is going to be a solid player no matter what, and signing him would make the White Sox go from the level they're at now to a higher level. I don't know if there's a 100% guy out there that I'm saying, okay, get this guy, White Sox go to the next level. Anybody out there that you're venturing out and seeing like this guy would be awesome for the White Sox and make them that much better? For me, no, not really. Like, obviously, if you had brought like a couple of them, like mm-hmm. I just wrote a piece for Southside Showdown today that was like, okay, if they brought in Rodon, Benintendi, and Segura. I think that th- those three would make mm-hmm. it a relatively productive offseason, knowing that what I believe about Eloy Jimenez and Luis Robert and Johan Moncada can't be any worse. So even yep. if he's a slightly below average player next year, that'll still be an upgrade over what he was this year because this year he was flat out horrible. I don't think mm-hmm. Yasmani Grandal is going to play as much as he did last year, but I also don't think he's going to be as bad as he was. And if he starts to progress, he will start to play more again. So you know, I do think if they make like a couple moves combined, then I think the White Sox will be in good shape. But as far as just one guy that's going to come in and do anything, no, I'm I'm completely with you. Yeah, it's it's sad, and I would love to have that combination you were talking about with Rodon. Even if you take Rodon out and you just go Benintendi Segura, 
I would like bet I'm in. Me I mean, it's not, you know, like earth shattering or anything like that, but that as a left fielder, that's going to give you quality outfield play. And for tight of time, can knock it ball over the fence. And if he's not in, doing it over the fence, he can probably get a couple doubles. He got decent speed. He's not a power hitter, but we're a very right-handed team, except for our couple switch hitters. That would be a guy that I would enjoy mining on left field for the White Sox. And then Gene Segura at second base, I'm in. I'll be much better than we have the four or five options we have currently on the team with uh, Romy Gonzalez and uh, Laning Sosa, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, those two guys just by themselves would be a great thing. And if they get Carlos Rodon, man, shooting through the moon, I'll be the, the happiest guy in the world. If you added those three guys, according to baseball reference, B-War, you would be adding about a, close to 11 war. Yeah, And I think that would be something that the White Sox could really use. I mean, you figure 11 war, 11 wins above replacement. You're taking out some of the negatives from last year. I believe Andrew Vaughn, he was negative war last year, but a lot of it was because he was a stinky outfielder, but a pretty good hitter. If you move him to first base and he actually plays halfway decent at first pitch, all of a sudden you get positive regression in his war. And so you start adding like 12, 13 more by just some of these small moves, except for Rodon, that certainly wouldn't be a small move. But like you said, even if you take him out of the equation and you just do Benintendi, Segura, Vaughn moving to first base will inevitably be better than uh, playing the outfield. Sheets will probably play less because of the fact he'll at least play the outfield less. I'm sure he'll get his at-bats left-handed when Aloy gets a day off or whatever. There's obviously the inevitable injuries. I think mm-hmm. all of these things, they make you go from 81 wins to maybe 86 wins. And then if you start you know, flipping a couple of those games where you drop a final out of the game and then Hendricks blows it a pitch mm-hmm. later – Baltimore Orioles, I think it was they were playing when that happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you start to flip some of those kinds of games. Maybe you don't have a manager walking guys with a 3-1 count. You know, so stuff like that starts to flip a little bit. So you go from 86, like I said, to 90. You know, th- things like that can really help get this team back to where they were two years ago. And that's why I'm like, okay, start with Ben Benintendi. He was an all-star last year with Kansas City. I know they had slim pickings with their all-stars and whatnot, and he probably made it, but he was a three-and-a-half-war player. There was a reason the New York Yankees wanted to add him to play in their outfield for their playoff run every now and then, and he dealt with a little bit of injury with them, I believe. But he won a gold glove in 2021 with the Royals, mm-hmm. and that was not because of slim pickings. Anybody's eligible to win that. So I do think there are moves to be made where the White Sox don't have to be a disaster in 2023. We'll just see if they end up thinking exactly what we're thinking. I mean, I'm thinking that they have to think the way that you're thinking right now. Like, that has to be in the back of their mind. Like, our lack of moves are because we think that our players aren't as bad as they were in 2022. And we're going to get natural uh, positive regression back to norms. And if they're just norms and not 88, 90 percentile outcomes, just get me 75 or maybe even 50 percent norms. We all gonna win games, and then subtracting Tony Larusa and adding Pedro Griefall and his staff will get us X amount of wins. So they have to be thinking like that because of the lack of moves that they've done so far. So I don't know why it's taking so long because the market has pretty much been set for most of the positions in baseball, including left field. So Andrew Benintendi, Gallo, all these guys should understand or should be in the market right now for signing a deal and some players like to sign before Christmas get some certainty and I hope the White Sox are thinking like you're thinking because otherwise I don't know their plan 
it doesn't, it's not congruent. Losing Jose Abreu, not adding anybody on, tells me that they're confident with their current team moving forward. I would I would caution on that. Getting a player like Andrew Benintendi or Joey Gallo or name you any left fielder who's still got some um, bat in him and can glove it would be much better for the White Sox instead of going with Gavin Sheets, our penciled in left fielder right now because we got Colas in right field. So I hope they're thinking that and then a couple moves that are not major can get this team to the playoffs next year. And as we've seen with the Philadelphia Phillies, we've seen with the San Diego Padres, you don't necessarily have to win the division. You just got to get in the tournament. And things can happen. You can beat a 100-win Met team. You can beat a 100-win Dodgers team, things like that. That Astros thing is a little tougher, but they just lost their ace pitcher in Justin Verlander. So maybe they're a little bit more vulnerable on the pitching staff while their hitting is still solid. Just get in the tournament, see how the how it plays out, but you still need to get some players to get into that tournament. I think still the Cleveland Guardians are the superior team in the AL Central because of how they play, how they stay relatively injury-free, injury-free, and also they're just young and good. So being that, the White Sox need to try to get as good or better than Cleveland Guardians, and it doesn't take that much, like you were saying. Benintendi, Segura, you're cooking with gas. You're competing with the Cleveland Guardians and hope the Minnesota Twins don't spend the money they're trying to spend on Carlos Correa, on Carlos Rodon. And then you can say, okay, we're the best team in the AL Central. Now let's go and play like that in 2023. Absolutely. And I got a couple more for you before I let you go. You've been so generous with your time. Thank you very much, Herb Lawrence of CHGO. Um, are you a little worried about White Sox Twitter in the first week of the season? You have four on the road against the Houston Astros <laughs> to kick things off. And then you come back to town and Carlos Correa and the San Francisco Giants are going to be waiting there for you in the home opener. That's going to be a if the White Sox start off like two and five be, just because they're playing opponents that are going to start the season ablazing next year. It's not going to be fun times. No, not at all. I mean, seeing Jose Abreu in a different uniform to start the season, kick off the season. The first game in baseball is the Astros raising their banners in front of you in Houston. And you could see our, one of your best franchise players ever go to the hated team. And now he's chasing a banner himself. That's going to be tough. I mean, it's a four game set in Houston. I mean, we got Dylan Cease going that first game, which I'm going to be very confident in, but the Astros, the Astros. So anything you can get out of Houston, if you get a split baby, that's awesome. Um, yeah, White Sox Twitter would go absolutely bonkers if they only win like two out of the first seven games. Put behind the the eight ball. I'm sure the Cleveland Guardians don't have a tough schedule to start off with. But yeah, those teams are tough. And I don't want to see that first game in April where it's them hosting the San Francisco Giants on a cold April day. It's one ten start and that ballpark half filled up because of lack of moves here. And we've already discussed the billboard that's going up on the Dan Ryan Sox fans are very pissed. Some and have told me that they're not re-upping, not going to be a Sox, not going to be a Sox season ticket holder anymore because of this season and how they've canceled Sox fest and how they've kind of much, pretty much don't like Sox fans in general. Their actions have spoken to that. And so that's going to be extra hard on the players and the organization. If they see a usually packed stadium on opening day for, the Southsiders with only 30 
with only 33,000 instead of the 38 to fill the building up. So I think that the White Sox is imperative to, for them to go and get this player that they need to make this team whole and reasonable Sox fans like myself and others will be like, all right, it wasn't the offseason that we wanted, but we understand what team we root for. So getting this player who is a middling player, fine. Same thing. And if we're banking on these other players staying healthy and regressing to their norms, fine. I understand that plan. I'm back once February hits. And I know a lot of White Sox fans are like, you know what? I'm not going to be a fan anymore. Yes, you are. It's We're not quitting them. I wish we could. I, if Man. If it was easy to quit the White Sox, I would have quit them a long time ago. But damn it, we've been fans for a long time, much more than Kenny Williams, much more than Rick Hahn. Rick Hahn was a Cup fan when we when he started being a White Sox fan. So we ain't leaving. We're just waiting this thing out, and hopefully they get the message that, yes, we're waiting it out. It's because we're diehard fans. We're not waiting it out because we love you guys in the front office. We're just waiting for you guys to get changed out so we get some real people in here who are serious about winning because it's tough to be a White Sox fan. I think it's the the hardest job in the world is to be a White Sox fan because you got to deal with the Cubs stuff across from you. And then you also got to deal with the front office not being, you know, for you. And it doesn't, you know, benefit your life necessarily. Like fans of other teams like the Texas Rangers, you might finish in third, fourth place, but you know your ownership and your front office is going out for you, trying to pull all, all the stops leaving no stone left unturned. The White Sox, it's not the same. It's the same stuff every year, and it's heartache, dread. And 2022, I thought 2007 or 2010 were the hardest White Sox years. 2022 takes the cake. It was so tough to be a White Sox fan and talk about those people every day. I don't need to tell you that, Vinny. You watched. You saw it. You felt it. It's been tough. Absolutely. It was very tough. I did a video for every single game, put on your socks. It was terrible. Uh, by the end of the year, I was like, good morning, everyone. It's time to put on your socks. The Chicago White Sox stunk again. And the Cleveland Guardians beat them eight to six. Like it was it just got to be like so annoying. And so I hope things at least are fun next year. But, you know, Herb, I know how dedicated you are to the White Sox and how dedicated you are to baseball. And I think you do a wonderful job of CHGO. I'm a huge fan of the company myself. And I can't commend you guys enough. Is there anything during the off season that is not related to baseball in any way, shape or form that you like to do for fun, whether it be other sports or, you know, types of movies you like music, what's going on with Herb in the off season? For the most part. Yeah. I like to go and uh, watch like TV shows that I didn't catch up with in the, during the season because of, you know, time obligations. So this is my first real off season where, I didn't have a regular job. Like we're still doing the CHGO thing five days a week, but it's only, you know, the actual show is only an hour. So I have a lot of time either preparing for the show or just sitting around the house, you know, doing nothing. And so I like to catch up on shows that I haven't seen that people are like, oh man, watch Succession, watch this show, watch that show. And so this uh, Christmas, I'll probably be watching one of the shows that people have been telling me about that, uh, I need to get on and uh, what's that one? A severance people want to tell me about last year. I think I watched uh, Ted Lasso or the year before I watched Ted Lasso and that's an excellent show. So those I like to catch up on, you know, what everybody's talking about and good cinema is always a fan. I'm always a fan of, I just watched up to like five episodes of the squid game. That's inner interesting, very awesome show. And so that's what I like to do during the time, especially my fiance is a, uh, 
pre uh, was a, a law school student. And so she has off right now until like January. And so we like to watch those shows together and uh, go to little festivals. Like there's like a Christmas festival at uh, Lincoln Park Zoo. Also one in the middle of the city where you're kind of going through a Christmas maze. We like to explore and see the city that we live in, which is one of the best cities in the world. So uh, that's pretty much all I do. Very cool. Very cool. It's, I'm happy to hear you're enjoying your off season. It sounds like you're having a good old time. And before you know it, it'll be spring. The birds will be chirping and we'll be getting ready to either be completely annoyed or completely positively impressed with the 2023 Chicago White Sox. Herb, I can't thank you enough for coming on our show. Let everyone know where they can find you now. On Twitter, it's Ecknerwall23. That is Lawrence. My last name spelled backwards. E-C-N-E-R-W-A-L-2-3. And CHGO White Sox, we do a daily show Monday through Thursday, usually at 4 o'clock Central Time. And then we do a Sunday, which is we record it on Sunday. We play it uh, for our audience on Monday. So whenever you're driving to work, Monday through Friday, there's always a CHGO White Sox uh, podcast for you. Us, me, Vinny, um, Vinny uh, Duber, and Sean Anderson are all talking about the White Sox on a daily basis. So check us out. Well, uh, on YouTube, four o'clock, CHGO White Sox. Absolutely, it's it's great stuff. Uh, everyone I know is following CHGO, whether the Blackhawk stuff, even the Cubs. Uh, we were watching them celebrate their funeral yesterday, or it was either yesterday or the day before. Those guys aren't too happy right now. Obviously, the Bears. Mark Carmen is a friend. We used to work with me at Fansided, so you know, outstanding stuff all around from chgo and of course herb make sure you follow him at ecknerwall is it ecknerwall 23 sorry ecknerwall 23 so yeah. make sure you get going on that and we can't thank you enough for coming on everyone we are going to send you to a quick commercial break And welcome back to Crosstown Crosstalk, where we can't thank Herb Lawrence enough for coming on our show. I'm a huge fan of CHGO. I think they do outstanding stuff, and it's just incredible to have him on and talk a little White Sox baseball. He gave us so much of his time, we can't thank him enough. Just a little bit of housekeeping to wrap up the show. There was a lot that happened. Last show, we were with Pitching Ninja, and it was one of the more fun shows i've ever done and i love pitching ninja as about as much as i love chgo it's just so great to have all these guys back to back on our shows um pitching ninja we talked about stuff that went on i believe aaron judge signed with the san francisco giants right after i was done recording with pitching ninja on wednesday but it went live on thursday so we never really talked about it live but of course aaron judge to the san francisco giants or to the uh, New York Yankees. It was reported that he went to the San Francisco Giants by John Heyman. And then five minutes later, he was like, eh, just kidding. I actually got bad information. Nothing set in stone yet. And then later that day, it came out that he had signed with the New York Yankees. So it was a wild time on baseball Twitter. People just roasting John Heyman, who has been one of the more reputable baseball reporters in the last you know couple years but he really messed up that one i mean aaron judge sticking with the new york yankees is some of the biggest news in the world let alone just sports so 
it was really interesting. But yeah, he's going to go back to the Yankees. Kind of a boring move for him and the league. Like they're going to have Stanton, Judge, and Cole signed for a bajillion dollars through their late 30s. It's weird times for the New York Yankees, but that's what the New York Yankees do. They sign their guys and they bring in other guys. And, you know, Stanton started with the Marlins and Cole started with the Pirates before making his way to the Astros. And then, of course, the Yankees. And then Judge, he was actually with the Yankees the whole time. They were at the way to uh, stick him around. So it's it's going to be good for baseball. Judge, after that year he had breaking Roger Maris's record, who was a New York Yankee himself, He's the guy who's going to stick around and play for them for a very long time. Um, Yankees-White Sox games are going to be biblical, I think, for the next couple years, and Judge is going to be a big part of it. So the Giants did get their revenge, though. They got their revenge by bringing in Carlos Correa on a 13-year, $350 million deal. That's a lot of money. It's even more importantly a lot of years to dedicate to one player. Obviously, I think it's totally worth it to bring in guys like that. Okay, so if in his late 30s, you already have a World Series or two locked up with him, and he starts to fall off, and you got to deal with it for those final two years. Who cares? Who literally cares? You pay for big players. That's how today's baseball league works. That's just the way it is. This isn't 2006 anymore where you could kind of like piece together a Jermaine Dye and an A.J. Pierzynski to come join your Paul Konerko and Mark Burley and go win the World Series. That's not how it works anymore. You got like the best teams in the league are signing some of these guys to these big contracts and that's just how it's going to be played. So Correa goes to the giants. SoCal has gotten a lot of boosts over the last couple of years. We saw Manny Machado go to the Padres. We saw Freddie Freeman go to the Dodgers. Mookie Betts was traded there. We've seen all sorts of great players go to the national league. SoCal teams and Xander Bogarts is next in line. He was one of the big four shortstops to be on free agent this offseason, And he has signed with the San Diego Padres. Very interesting move here because of course they have Fernando Tatis jr who that name really grinds the gears of a lot of White Sox fans. But now they have two premier shortstops. What's going to happen to one of them? Tatis is suspended for the first 50 or 80 games, whatever it is, for the next season. He might play second base. He could play the outfield. There's obviously the DH. I think Xander Bogarts is going to be their new full-time shortstop. And that's just going to be the way it is for San Diego. But they go out and make another trade. The San Diego pa- – or another big signing. The San Diego Padres are that team for me. I don't want to hear about small market teams anymore. I don't want to hear about this. I don't want to hear about that. You want to win, you go sign these guys. It doesn't matter where you're located. If you don't think your location is good for business, then move. Get out. Go somewhere else because I'm so sick and tired of seeing teams like the White Sox and the Cubs who are in the third largest largest metropolitan in the United States of America act like you know they play in middle Tennessee or something like that. I mean, it's just absolutely crazy. Chris Bassett goes to the – um Toronto Blue Jays that's obviously a big move for them as they secure some more pitching and the New York Mets the biggest spenders of the offseason keep bringing in all these big money contracts um they're bringing in Kodai Senga who was a big target for the Chicago Cubs he's a pitcher that's coming over from Japan pitching ninja told me that he's going to come to this league and be very very good right off the bat it's not going to really take much of an adjustment for him and guess what when pitching ninja says something I believe it I think Kodai Senga is going to be amazing for the New York Mets and that's going to be uh, – it's going to be a good time for the Mets. They're going to add this guy. they got a great rotation. Verlander and Scherzer are already there. They signed Jose Quintana. Now they got Kodai Senga. It's one of the best rotations in the National League. And so I actually am a big fan of this signing for them, and that leads me to the Chicago Cubs, who today signed uh, Brad Boxberger. You might remember Boxberger. He was with the uh, 
the what are they called the Milwaukee Brewers for the last four years. You might remember when they did those little league jerseys where they put their nicknames on the back, and Boxberger kind of went viral because he ha- he was the only one who had an emoji. He put a box and a burger emoji on the back of his jersey. I actually thought that was really cool. Listen, I called it an underwhelming signing for the Chicago Cubs on DeWindyCity.com earlier today, and that's not because I think it's a bad signing for the Chicago Cubs. It's underwhelming because they at the beginning of this offseason, they signed Bellinger and they signed – Jamison Talion. Okay, well, Bellinger's coming off two straight really bad, or I guess it's three straight mediocre seasons, not like the MVP that he once was. Um, but I, I just think Bellinger, he doesn't move the needle anymore. He could be a great depth signing. And if you have a big offseason and Bellinger's a part of it, that can be something great. And then you sign Talon, who is a good pitcher. He's like a three or a four in a really good rotation. I would have him as the Cubs three right now behind uh strom he might even be the four because you're gonna put Hendricks above him so i would go probably stroman Hendricks. um i feel like i'm missing someone big there was the kid who was really good last year and then um talon so i'm not sure that boxberger signing can be announced as exciting even though he had an under three era as a reliever more strikeouts than inning pitch that's all nice stuff but if you don't have the other offseason that was such a big hype for the Cubs coming in, I'm going to call it a disappointment. And there's one big free agent shortstop left. Dansby Swanson is that good. Make no mistake about it. But I just think that, you know, if they don't get Dansby Swanson, it's going to be a failure of an offseason for the Cubs. I've already tried. It's not my Cubs hate or anything like that. There is no Cubs hate when I do this show, really. It's me telling it like it is. The White Sox have had a worse offseason. So it's not like I'm, you know, saying anything that's not true. It's you came in telling me you might get two of the four, um, two of the four big shortstops. I, I just don't see that being the case, and uh, that's obviously not going to be the case because there's only one left. You're they were telling me they're going to make a super infield, they might sign three of them because Jed Hoyer was told by the Ricketts that they have unlimited money and they could go sign whoever they want, they're going to build a super infield. That's, that was never going to be the case. I always thought that was a load of crap. And it's just been proven uh, even more so far this offseason. So go out and get Dansby Swanson, I guess. And it, I think if you add Swanson, Bellinger, Talon, and Boxberger in the same offseason, it's a pretty good offseason for the Chicago Cubs based on, you know, what's going on. Um, we got some chat on Ricketts going on in the comments right now. And I actually do find that to be kind of funny, calling him the worst owner in Chicago. For a lot of reasons, I think he's the worst owner in Chicago. I would put how they run a baseball team. I think I would put Reinsdorf below Ricketts, but there are some other factors that make me hate Ricketts and their whole family are a bunch of a-holes, and he hasn't lived up to the hype that he said it was going to be when he first came over to the team. It seems like they got that World Series out of the way quickly, and then it just became a money grab for the Ricketts the rest of the way. I don't really understand how that family works, but it is what it is. Boxberger to the Cubs. We'll see if they're able to make another big move before the next show. Before our next show, next week, next Thursday, 2 p.m., I believe we probably will know what happens to Swanson. We'll see if we know where Carlos Rodon goes by then. Benintendi, McCutcheon, Segura, Joey Gallo, those are kind of the names leading the way now that Correa, Bogarts, Turner are all signed. Uh, Justin Turner, the other Turner from the Dodgers, the red-headed bearded man, he's looking for a contract too. The Cubs are in on him. There are a couple teams that are in on him, but I just, I'm not impressed with the two Chicago teams at all. Honestly, they've both been a major disappointment to me. 
since the beginning of November when I I had hope that both of them would probably do something significant and neither have so far. But that's why we're bringing guys like Herb Lawrence to come in and uh, do great things on this show and bring great conversation. I'm a huge fan of CHGO and what Herb does. And obviously Mark Carmen, who's been on the show, I believe, three times. We've had Braggs on South Burbs Hitman, you know, on Mondays during the summer. He's obviously a very good Chicago Bears person. Um, the Chicago Blackhawks coverage is awesome. Sean Anderson is going to be on this show eventually. I have spoken with him about it, and we're probably going to do it more after the holidays, I would say. But very much looking forward to that, and I can't wait for to have her back. We'll have him back at some point probably later in the offseason. Um, I can't thank him for coming on. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at Eckner, Eckner Wall with 23, which he pointed out to me as Lawrence backwards. Would have never in a million years been able to unscramble that without being told. But that's the way it is, and I hope everybody enjoys the rest of their day. Another holiday weekend coming up, or I guess a pre-holiday weekend coming up. I hope everybody has a safe, fun time. And make sure you check out the rest of the great shows here on the Barroom Network where you can listen to Mike North talk about the Chicago Bears. Very interested to hear what he thinks of the great Mitchell Trubisky's performance last week where he was absolutely freaking terrible for the Pittsburgh Steelers and basically ruined any chances they have of sneaking into that last wild card spot. Um, Kenny Pickett getting hurt was actually the worst thing that could happen to the Steelers because Trubisky stinks, stinks really bad. But we'll see what the Chicago Bears are able to do. Tough, tough, tough end of the season. You got the Philadelphia Eagles and the Buffalo Bills coming up here for them. So it's not going to be pretty, but Justin Fields appears to be ready to go. So we will head into the bye week or to the post bye week portion of the season, hoping to at least watch him play well, even though these teams they're playing against are not going to be easy. And then we'll be right back at it next Wednesday with Bar Down Talking Hockey. Frank Mueller and I are going to go over all the things that are going on in the NHL. Will Alexander Ovechkin pass Gordie Howe for the second most goals in the history of the league by then? We'll see what will happen with the New Jersey Devils, the Chicago Blackhawks, the two teams we cover the most on the show. But we do cover the whole league as a whole, so I hope all hockey fans tune in next Wednesday, 2 p.m. We'll be right back here on Crosstown Crosstalk next Thursday at 2 p.m. Make sure you enjoy all the shows on the Barroom Network over the weekend from this moment forward. And as always, to everyone in the chat watching at home and elsewhere in the world, we can't thank you enough. Thank you for listening. 